All right, so, so welcome back to uh, Mistaken Identity and um, my series. Um, I'm looking at all of the uh, managers and leadership and bosses uh, that I've had from the age of 16 all the way to 43 right now with the uh, Cubs. And uh, so I want to go way back to one of my first ever um, uh, bosses, uh, and that is Paul Rath J. Paul, how's it going? Going well, way back. You make me sound old, <laughs> which I guess I am. <laughs> what about before this is on? I'm like, you know, you probably don't even. Recognize. I was 16 years old. Uh, now I was always with Daniel Alexa. She pretty much spoiled me back then, but I was like 16. So, like, this version of me, you're probably like, uh, I may remember him. I may not remember him, but uh, <laughs> I was, yeah, I was just, I was fresh. You were. And I remember you, and, and I'm comfortable that we're starting this at about 1.20 because that, that's game time. So here we go. Yes, yes. Um, uh, I'm surprised that I'm even uh, still there. It's funny, I'm going to tell this story, I'm going to move on. Back then, we recruited a guest from Lane Tech, and there was a table in the cafeteria. Um, and I said to myself, hey, you know, this would be cool for one season. I can do this one time and one year. <laughs> This would be a good summer job one time because I have other aspirations and, you know, one day, one year turned into, you know. Yeah, we did a lot of recruiting at, at some of the local high schools and Lane Tech obviously was one of them. Um, and I mean, we didn't just hope to find young students like yourself, but we also were hoping that we maybe would capture a few teachers, which we did because we found they made excellent employees. And we also found that their schedule worked pretty well with, uh, you know, a lot of games in the summer, obviously a lot of them didn't teach. So yeah. it, it was a good match. And I still ask people today. I think, I think the majority of our supervisors, there's about 50 of us supervising. Um, and I think half may be teachers. So that's still, uh, yeah. and I think, you know, Floyd. So obviously sure. Floyd, uh, uh, definitely still there. Um, so let's start about, Let's start from the beginning. So how did you, we heard how I found out about Wrigley Field and the Cubs job. How did you get involved with the Cubs organization? Okay. Um, you know, I'm a, a Chicago area kid. I grew up in the South suburbs. I went to Ridge Central High School in Olympia Fields and uh, went to uh, Northern Illinois, had a business degree, didn't know what I wanted to do, liked sports. Uh, and back in those days, there were only a couple schools uh, that had a master's in sports management and I ended up going to Ohio State and got my master's in sports management. While I was there, uh, they were tied into the AAA team there in Columbus, Ohio, the Columbus Clippers. And we uh, had internships there, which gave us a great start. Well, I did an internship there. Uh, and then I ended up being hired there full time. So I was there for a year for the internship and two years full time. And it was an excellent place to learn the business and be exposed to things and have a lot of hands-on experience. And uh, after those couple of years, I probably could have gone another year, but I was ready to try to move up and, and have a new challenge and a new experience. Well, I was right when the Tribune uh, bought the Cubs and 
it's kind of a funny story, but my boss at the time, or one of my bosses at the time in Columbus was Tom Cooper, who will get, I'll get back to that in a little bit, but uh, he knew somebody he had worked with some years before that at Cincinnati that was hired by the Cubs. And it, it was Terry Bartholomew, and they had hired him as the VP of business operations. And Tom was able to connect me uh, with him at the winter baseball meetings. And I had an interview and uh, it, it was kind of a funny interview. We were sitting at a bar and it was very kind of informal, but uh, you know, I, I gave him my experience, told him I was from the area, wanted to get back to Chicago. And uh, he said, uh, you know, I told him I'd be in town over, over the Christmas holidays. He goes, well, give me a call. I'd want you to meet a couple other people and have you uh, interview with them. So I did and I went up to Wrigley uh, during the holidays and met with two other people. And, uh, you know, I thought it went well, but they didn't really say there was anything there. And I really wasn't sure what was gonna happen. And uh, I was getting ready to go back to Columbus and uh, I got a phone call and uh, it was uh, Terry and he said, well, we, we have a job we want to offer you. I was like, oh, great. You know? And I'm like, what, what, what is it? <laughs> what will I be doing? He goes, well, we just brought the security in-house and we're going to have you over, you know, one year, I guess they'd done it the year before and that person left. And uh, he says, we're going to have you oversee the security. And I said, I'll take it. I knew absolutely nothing about security, <laughs> but uh, that's how I got my foot in the door. And we, uh, you know, we, we came back to Chicago and in 83 was my first year and we oversaw the security. Um, I learned a ton. I ended up hiring, which many of the people will know, uh, Paul Gerlach, who was uh, at that time doing a lot of rock and roll security and things like that. And uh, while it was more of a rock and roller, I knew when I interviewed him that he knew the security business and especially with handling people and moving people and things like that, which I thought was perfect. So him and I talked and a couple of years later, we decided to pitch the Cubs on bringing everything in house. And that's when we, we created our crowd management system at that time and uh, also brought in the ushering and combined it with the security. So anyway, that's kind of how I ended up with the Cubs. Um, and I did that job for a few years. And then uh, the guy that was my boss at that time, Bob Hubbard's left and uh, he was the director of stadium operations. They were looking for a director. And I went in and talked to Terry and he goes, you know, I said, I'd be interested. He goes, I'll be honest with you. You've only been here really a year. He goes, uh, I'm not sure you're ready for that yet. Haven't had a lot of experience. I said, okay, I, you know, that's fair. So he was looking and interviewing a few people. Well, he ended up interviewing Tom Cooper, my former colleague from Columbus. And Terry came in one day and he goes, I think you probably saw Tom here a couple of days ago. I said, yeah, he goes, well, I, I want to talk to you. He says, I, I want to enter, I want to hire him. And he goes, I, I just want to know if you're going to be okay with that. Cause I know you worked with them and I know you were in this, interested in the job. And I said, Terry, I'll be fine. Tom and I got along great. And frankly, I was ecstatic they hired him because I knew Tom. It wasn't like I'm going to have to 
get acclimated to somebody I didn't know. So and I think we formed a pretty good team and I, I learned a lot more from Tom and, uh, you know, he was there 10 plus years and then basically retired to go take care of his, his parents who were, were getting older and uh, they needed some assistance. And uh, that's when they promoted me to the director job. So I was there in that position for uh, what another 10 or 12 years, I guess it was. So, so are you the one that hired Mike Hill? Uh, Mike, yeah, we hired him. Paul knew him. Paul Gerlach knew him from doing the security stuff for uh, music and concerts. Um, and we brought him in basically as a crowd control employee to start with and then kind of got promoted to an assistant under Paul. And then when Paul left, yeah, Mike got promoted to the, the manager of the security department. So, yeah. And got to say, at, uh, at 16, I feared Mike Hill. I don't know why, but I, was, <laughs> I feared the man. <laughs> it was a, but it was a, it was a respect kind of fear. It wasn't a, you know, he's going to hurt me kind of fear, but whatever, he just commanded my respect. I was just like, you don't do anything, you know, it, yeah. I, do you have any thoughts, any personal memory, because he's not, he's no longer with us, but any thoughts, memories about Mike Hill? You know, it, he might come across that way at times where you might have that fear, but as you know, and as you get to know him, He's really not like that at all. He's a great guy. Um, he was great to work with. I really enjoyed working with him when I was there. Um, you know, we went through a lot of battles together. Uh, but uh, at times, I always kind of found him as a voice of reason when I needed to hear it at times. And, uh, you know, his, as you know, his his sense of humor and some things, uh, they came in handy quite often, so. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. Um, and one thing that we always talk about to this day is how uh, whenever there was the sweep at the end of the game, Mike Hill was always with us at the sweep. And we bring that up now because now the supervisors, we lead it on our own. Uh, right. We always talk about how, you know, uh, Mike Hill was always there at the end of the game with us during the sweep, so. And I mean, you know, we, I, it's a little bit of a different time now, maybe, but then back in the eighties, nineties. Um, but, you know, and I was the same way. I did a lot of sweeps too, but we always were, would tell our people, you know, we aren't necessarily going to ask you to do anything that we wouldn't be willing to do ourselves. And, and oftentimes got involved with you in different things when we had to, and weren't afraid to do so. And uh, so, yeah, it, you know, that was uh, just kind of the way it was at the time. Yes, but one of my fondest memories of Mike is going to lead to this next topic of the convention. So I was uh, I was at the convention in the in the Hilton, and um, I had a room, and um, again, I, my third or fourth year, but I was I was young and naive at this convention, uh, and I was just an usher. But the crowd control, you know, um, hey, let's go to Frank's room. So they were in my room and. Uh, I didn't know what that happened because, you know, I'm, I'm just naive. Usher. I was friends with Floyd and Daniel Emmons and Daniel Alexa. So, you know, like, you know, I just follow their lead. Uh, but I, I don't know what happened, but in my room, um, somebody had broken the glass um, closet door, just shattered it. <laughs> I was completely terrified because I'm just young. Oh my, oh my God, whatever. Like, just tell Mike Hill, like, no way, no, no way, no how. <laughs> <laughs> like, trust me, just go and tell uh, Mike Hill. And eventually, I got the nerve to go and tell him because my mom would have killed me. So I went and told him 
hey, um, I didn't do this, but uh, some of the crowd control were in my room and they broke the mirror and whatever. And he actually had it taken care of. Like I didn't get in trouble. And um, I guess he understood how at that time, some crowd control could take advantage of young <laughs> ushers or whatever. Um, and he took care of it for me. And from that day on, I was like, I was no longer scared of him in, in that sense. Um, I just had, he just had, you know, my total respect. Yeah, and I mean, that's another good example. And even though it's a smaller little issue, maybe at that time, not to you perhaps, but right. <laughs> we always told our people if something got screwed up or you made a mistake or something happened, come and tell us because it was a lot easier to know about it and to deal with it and try to handle it at that point than to find out later and then try and go put out the fire or backtrack and try and deal with it. So, you know, it was always like, be upfront, let us know what's going on. We know things happen, but we want to know so we can deal with it and handle it. So, so yeah. that was good. Good for you. Yes. <laughs> but, and of course, it was a good example of uh, probably some of the fun that was had at the convention. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so which we want to go to next, because uh, you know nowadays the convention at the Sheridan, a much smaller venue, same amount of people, but a much smaller uh, venue, and it can be very—I don't know what the right word is for it—but it can be very blah. I don't know the word, but back in the days with the Hilton, my God, it was—it I, uh, to, it was as fun as the season was. Uh, you have any um, at, at Cubs convention experiences you want to talk about? Well, you know what, I'll, I'll mention, you know, I never, uh, I was gone by the time they moved to the Sheridan, but when uh, when the Cubs convention was first conceived, the first couple were actually at the Hyatt, okay. and it was a small venue, and this thing grew and started to take off, and it was like, we're going to need a bigger place, and then between that, I think, and sponsorship and what have you, we ended up at the Hilton, which quite honestly in my is a great venue for it it's it's yeah. large and uh just the different elevator thing different things you can do to, to move players and people around it, it was a good a good venue for the convention and uh yeah you know it, it was always uh kind of a, a fun and refreshing thing yeah it was during the off season and you gave up a weekend but it kind of got you back into the mode of, hey, you know, this baseball season isn't far away and spring training's coming here in a few weeks. And, you know, after that, we're going downhill fast and it'll be it'll be uh, opening day. So uh, it was fun. We, you know, we partied a little. We worked, uh, you know, but I think the staff enjoyed it and it was a chance for a lot of the staff to – uh, at that time, maybe get a little closer to players and know them a little and talk to them where that isn't always the case at the ballpark, or at least it wasn't back then. So, um, yeah, they, you know, they worked, they had fun and, uh, you know, it, it was a great experience and it was great for the fans. Yeah. You know, getting close to the players. I remember there was a party um, at night and at this party, um, there was a roped off section uh, they had one of our security guards there where the players were. But if you were an employee, you were allowed to be in that section too. Uh, and to be just an employee that 
had, and it's funny because I call it like the zoo. You're at the zoo, you're watching the lions and you're watching. The fans are at the, at the red rope watching all the players inside and we get to walk past them and join them. It was like, it was an amazing experience. And to me, it was the greatest form of appreciation. Like, hey, you know, absolutely. Come in, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Nice little extra. And, I mean, you know, you work all season and now you're working all weekend to to deal with the fans and the players and that type of setting. And, uh, yeah, it's a nice little uh, extra to uh, have the staff be able to do that. Yeah, we don't have that now. We have bingo instead. But um, uh, I know that people that are listening to this are like, oh, my God, you all has to, got to party with the Cubs? And the answer is yes. <laughs> we actually got to um, – uh, partying with the Cubs, but also not only not only that, um, I felt. Then again, we were much smaller. We have hundreds of staff now, but we were much smaller back then. But I felt like after the games, um, we were more we were one big family. Like we were hanging out together at the different establishments outside of that. Did you? Uh, you probably uh, don't know how it is now, but um, did you all try to foster that family type of bond amongst the staff? Because it, it was definitely a family to me. Well, absolutely, and uh, we we really wanted it to be a team effort. And I know that sounds corny, but uh, that's really what we we wanted it to be. And in in some regards, when I mean, you have to be careful and you have to do it the right way. But going out after a game and, and having something to eat or a couple beers and, and just letting your hair down and getting to know some of the people you're working with. And uh, I, I think that went a, a, a long way in developing camaraderie. I mean, this guy I'm talking to now is going to have my back tomorrow if I have to go break up that fight or whatever. And um, yeah, it, I think it was kind of an important part that, while not official, was, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a big part of putting together the team and doing that. And, yeah, there were, without getting into specifics, some nights where it got a little crazy and we were letting our hair down and having fun. And somehow we managed to get back there and be there by next morning and do it all over again. But, uh yeah, I mean, I, it was a little bit different time, too, even back in the 80s and 90s. And that whole thing with the partying and some of that, it, it's changed a lot now. But uh, back at that time, um, I think, you know, you were able probably to get away with a few more things than, <laughs> than you are now. Yeah. Um, so I want to go back to some uh, memorable moments, but I want to ask you about one thing. So today, the promo item that drives people crazy is the bobbleheads. But I remember Beanie Babies being um, just insane um, at, at the park. And I know you were uh, there for promo items. Uh, what was the like for you? I'm just curious. Because I know how it was for us. Uh, on those major insane promo days, what was the like for management? Uh, you know, to, to when, they, when marketing says, okay, this is this item coming. And you're all like, oh, no. I'm just curious. As to what was what was going on through you all said during those crazy promo days? Yeah, I mean, most of them weren't bad, but you hit on the biggest headache, and that was the Beanie Babies. <laughs> and we learned early on that this was a whole different animal, and not to make a pun, but, uh, you know, we had to start coming up with these 
crazy ideas of, you know, we, we, we saw that people were leaving and coming back with another ticket so they could get as many as they wanted. So then we created all these uh, crazy hoops to drive to go through where they had to go out one separate gate and, and made it longer and away from places. So it took them longer to get back to the main gate. And, you know, the whole thing around that was trying to, you know, at least let as many people get a, at the promotional item as could be rather than people hoarding them. And you probably remember people would get mad. What do you mean I can't go out this gate? And they're calling the fire department that we won't let them out. And, you know, it, it got a little crazy there for a while. And it really wasn't what the whole uh, thing should be about. But, uh, you know, you, you work, you figure it out, and uh, it was a great promotion. Uh, you know, uh, so many other teams started doing it, but uh, yeah. it was so successful. And uh, but yeah, that that was probably the the biggest one that, at least when I was there, to me created the most headaches. Yeah, <laughs> on YouTube, we have Twitter, so we have, we're more. You have to be careful about what we do now because you know we can. Um, be viral in a heartbeat, um, and there's, there's some there's some videos out there. Bobblehead Day, you feel that people are like just. You know, but I was thinking in my head, you know, what would have happened if there was YouTube and Twitter and Facebook back then? <laughs> you know, you bring up a great point, and it it was a different world back then. And there's no question that the things that went on and happened, it would have been a whole different animal yeah. there. I mean, it was. You're right on it. The people would have been, you know, all over that social media wise, yeah. as well as a lot of other things that back in that day happened that, yeah, you were able to do it. But in today's world, different story. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what are, what are some memorable moments or games at Wrigley Field that stand out for you during your career? Um, you know, I... I have a lot of things that, that stick out in my mind. Um, some of them are good and some of them weren't so good, but they were so uh, memorable, as you said, that that's why I think about them. And I mean, I'll give you a, a couple of the bad ones. I mean, early in my career, we had a guy fall over one of the ramps coming down right after a game. And I was on the field and, I'll never forget it. I heard kind of this loud, almost like everybody took a huge breath at one time. And then there was this loud bang. And I knew right then I said, somebody fell from the upper deck. And I could see where everybody was looking. So I ran over there. Well, long story short, two guys coming down near the top of the ramp from after the game got into it. And the one guy pushed the other one and he started going over the rail and he grabbed the guy. They both went over the rail and the one guy fell on the other guy, hit the seats below in the terrace area. And I got up there and I mean, I, I have to say, I have never seen anything like that. Uh, it was difficult, but it was one of those things. Okay. You put your training and your common sense to work and we had to block off the areas and we started looking for witnesses and of course, we got the medical staff and the security and our police started interviewing. We treated it as a as a criminal type matter to begin with until we knew what was happening. So, I mean, that was one that it always sticks in my mind. The, the 
guy that took the hat off of the, the, the player in the bullpen from the Dodgers yes. at night game. It turned into a huge deal. We'll never forget that one. Um, some of the good things, I mean, the, the, uh, the 84 season probably was my favorite cause that was only my second year and, you know, winning the division and, uh, it was it was awesome and it was bittersweet at the same time. I'm, at that time, Tom Cooper, my boss, we were at the stadium, those three games in in San Diego, expecting fans to run out. You know, we had security people there, and uh, you know, ended up disappointed three nights in a row. And we pretty much thought we had our bags packed and we're going to Detroit, and that never happened. So while I was devastated. I, I, it probably took me six months until the beginning of the next season to just kind of get over the fact that we were right there. And I, it kind of ruined me because I told myself I can't ever let myself emotionally get so attached to that because of the way I felt afterwards. So after that, 89, 2003, and while I was excited I felt like I kind of had this block up or I was always a half a step back because if I was going to be disappointed and the outcome wasn't what we were hoping for, I didn't want to feel that way again. So that kind of, you know, it was kind of a sad thing in a way for me, but uh, still my most favorite year, my second most favorite year was the Sammy McGuire. And I mean, we did make the playoffs that year with the extra game. I mean, that whole year just seemed magical. And that was my first year as a director. So that, I guess, made it even a little more special for me. But uh, that that was a crazy, crazy year. Um, trying to think. I mean, we did the, the first concert while I was there with Jimmy Buffett. That was exciting. Um, and we knew when that was over, it went so well that they'll have other concerts, and we did, and you still do. So, and yeah. now you have football games, which I never yeah. thought I would see. <laughs> um, we did have soccer there a few times in my early years. They, I don't know, it wasn't. I don't know if they were called the Sting then. I think they were, but uh, they played at Wrigley a few times. Okay. Uh, let's see. I don't know. I've hit on a couple of them. <laughs> But let me ask you a question though. So, because you brought up, you know, um, uh, not getting too emotionally involved. So, in 2016, when they won the World Series, where were you at? What were you doing? What were you thinking? So, I left after at the end of the year in 2007, and it's it's tough. I mean, I think a lot of people would tell you that that have been there for years that. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to not leave or come back or be around it. And the first year was pretty difficult. Um, and, but I, I'd say after that, the second year, you know, you, you do start to realize that you're not working 12 or 15 hour days anymore. And there's another life out there and you, you start to realize that and you start doing other things and you start to just, at least for me, I, I kind of separated myself from that time of my life when I was with the Cubs. So while I would still follow it, um, I don't think I followed it as closely. So when they made the World Series, I thought it was awesome. I, I mean, I, I was hoping they would win. Um, but it was different. I, I 
I don't know how to describe it. I, you know, I was happy that it happened. I was happy for the the people I I had worked with that were still there because I knew how long they had waited. And, um, you know, it, that it was special. It was great. Got the monkey off the back. Life can go on now. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, it, it, I, I think I handled it for personally well. It didn't bother me. It wasn't like, oh, I missed it. You know, and I, I never felt that way. Okay. Um, so there's this one we call urban legend. I really feel that only you can probably solve. Um, so the new generation of supervisors, when they get hired, uh, they go through an interview process, like I did, interview process. Uh, but there was this rumor that to be a supervisor, you had to take this test that was 50 questions long, and you have to know all these things. And um, so settle the score for, for once and for all to become a supervisor. Was there this test you had to sit down and take? And if you failed it, you had to take it, take it again? Or is that just an urban myth or legend that the old timers like to bring up whenever we young people get into the supervising field? <laughs> you know, now you're testing my, my memory, which isn't as good as it used to be. But you know what? I think we did have a test, yes. All right, all right. Uh, that was just part of, of the whole process. So uh, we just wanted to be sure that uh, you know, there was some basic knowledge there on different things, you know, it wasn't a difficult test. <laughs> so that, that is, for all you listening, that is, that is true. They were all right. There, there was a test uh, to become a supervisor. We hear that, we hear that all the time. Um, so I want to ask you real quick, though, about players, because, um, uh, you know, we all have favorite players and we get to meet them. When you're working with the Cubs, you have opportunities to have interactions with them. Uh, are there any interactions with players uh, or announcers that stand out to you in your career at all? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I would be involved with players periodically, but I always tried uh, not to go out of my way to do that because I, I didn't think it was part of, you know, if I had to deal with a player because it was business grade and yeah, you know, you would talk to him in the course of your day if you pass by or, or something was going on. Um, let me see, a couple of... <laughs> I mean, we're going back again, but some of some of my favorites were like Greg Maddox, John Lieber. Um, uh, that might be because I'm old fashioned, and I think three and a half and four or four and a half hour ball games are ridiculous. And when those guys pitched, they were never that long. Uh, <laughs> I remember I was in in the the. I don't know what you call it today, the rain room with the radar. And back then it was, it was kind of new, new technology. And Roger Baird and I were in there and uh, we were in a rain delay and hadn't started a game. And Greg Maddox came in and, and kind of said, what, you know, what's the story? And he, and he just kind of finally said, you know what, just find me about an hour and a half and we'll get this game in <laughs> and I'll never forget that. And he was dead on. We did get it in. I think I went about two hours, but he was right on with what he was saying. So, but I always enjoyed him. Um, I do have one story that just came into my mind. I think it was, it might've been the first year I was there. Um, Dusty Baker was playing for the Dodgers. And again, it comes back, it was a rain delay. And this is back, the visiting clubhouse was up the stairs there, down in the right field line. And um, we get a call and the guard at the door, there was a man who wanted to get into the clubhouse. 
and he was a friend of Dusty's. And he's like, no, we can't let you in. You know, it's against the major league rules and blah, blah, blah. And we get called down there and we wouldn't let him in. Well, Dusty came down to the door and we got into it a little bit. <laughs> and Dusty was like, you know, I'm going to have your job. And I'm like, Dusty, that's fine. You talk to who you need to talk to, but he can't go in. Well, you know. He didn't get in. The game went on. And then Dusty becomes the manager years later. And I never did talk to him about that. I don't think he would have remembered it. But I've got to say this. When he was there as the manager, he was always good to me. We worked well together. He was one of my favorite managers. I was kind of, even though I probably would have rooted for the Braves, I was kind of hoping the Astros would win this year because of him. And, uh, but he always was, at least for me, a first-class individual. Um, but that story, I always got a kick out of it because I'll I'll never forget it. He probably did, and now he's our manager. And I'm, <laughs> so um, that was one I remembered. Let's see what else. I, there were just little things once in a while. This one just popped in my my head. I think. And I have to go back. I don't recall if it was his last game of the season or just their last visit to Wrigley Field in that year. But when Craig Biggio retired, I think it might have been the last game of the year, but I'm not sure. But I, he was just sitting in the dugout after the game by himself, kind of taking the ballpark in, I think. And I think it might have been the last game because he knew that this was it. And I just went over to him and chatted with them for a minute and just said, you know, I really enjoyed watching you play and following your career. And I mean, he was another one, just, Hey, thank you. That means a lot. I appreciate it. And uh, so, yeah, there's little moments like that. And I don't remember them all right now. I'd, I'd have to really give it some thought, but uh, that some of that is, uh, uh, I guess, when you feel like, okay, all those 15 hour days and all the work you put in and some of that's worthwhile. I just remembered another one when Jim Riggleman was a manager and he got fired. He's the only manager that has ever done this when I was there. He came through the office and he made it a point to stop in my office and others and just thanked us for everything we did and how we helped them and um, things like that. So he was always a class act too. Okay. So what are you doing now? Is this the, obviously the point of all this. So where are they now? So what, what are you oh, doing? Frank, now? you know what? I'm goofing off. <laughs> I'm retired. When I left the Cubs, uh, I ended up working a few years for the independent baseball team in Joliet, which Joliet Slammers. They had just uh, been purchased by a new owner. And I knew a couple people that got me in there. So I got to be the, the facility guy there for a few years had a great time. They won the Frontier League Championship one year I was there. That was a lot of fun. And it was kind of going back to my roots and my first job in a way, because now you're you're a small office, small front office, and you're doing a lot of other things. Um, you know, when it's when it's a small office, you do a little bit of everything. But I also was able able to mentor some younger guys, which I really enjoyed. And uh, I did that for a few years. And then I ended up my last full-time job, I ended up uh, 
going a whole different route. And I was a building and transportation manager for a school in uh, Palos Heights. Uh, that was a school for disabled kids and adults. And um, it was kind of, I think, a great way for me to just sort of end my, my working career because um, I could see every day how what our school did for these people um, meant a whole lot to me. And uh, I really enjoyed that for, it was about five years, I think. So after that, um, I actually left there. I had planned to work there maybe another year to two years, but my dad had passed and my mom uh, was starting to have some medical issues. And uh, uh, I talked to my wife, I just felt like rather than hire someone to be with my mom all day long while I was at work and I knew she wouldn't like that anyway <laughs> and would fight it I said I think I'm in a position where I can be the one to stay home with her so I pretty much retired at that point and spent a couple of years helping my mom and then she passed and uh, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you right now in Naples Florida we decided um, we came down here for years on our vacations. My parents had a condo here for years, which they sold some years ago, but we always liked the area. We have friends here. A lot of friends from up north I know have moved down here. We just decided we're sick of the winter, the snow. And we had talked about you know, going back and forth in two places, but we decided we're moving permanently. So I'm uh, sitting here in Florida and we've been here since August. And right now I'm retired and uh, still doing a few things in the house because we, we're still kind of getting that uh, set up. And uh, I don't know, I might look for something to do uh, part-time, just a couple days a week. Um, we'll see. I hope I can play some more golf than I used to. Uh, and I'll be back up that way. I've got family up there. That's the hard part. My, my kids are still up in that area and the grandkids. So... We're going to have to kind of sort through that, although I know they're uh, anxious to come down here and, and visit too. So Now, so have you been to Wrigleyville to see how it looks now or, you know, the last, since the World yeah. Series? You know, I was fortunate enough to get some tickets for some of the playoff games there for a while. Now, I hadn't been back to the ballpark for, I'm going to say, four to five years until this past year. Um, I had some friends come into town and uh, one of my other friends and I went up and, and were at the ballpark. But uh, I'll be honest with you, I didn't even, I we ended up meeting them and we, I never got the chance. I was really hoping to get around the park more and even outside a little bit into the neighborhood because it's so different than it was when I was there. And I really didn't get a big chance to do that, but uh it's definitely a lot different. Um, I think this is just my personal opinion. I think a lot of the things that have been done are great. I, the fact that they've put a lot of money into the ballpark and just to, um, you know, the infrastructure and maintain it and then the new things they've done with it. I mean, I'm not a huge fan about all of the advertising everywhere. I mean, the video boards, I get that. That's what you need to do in this day and age. Um, so, you know, there's to me, there's a little good and a little maybe not so good, but, you know, you just realize life moves on, things change, and 
uh, you know, back in the day when we would talk about that when I was there. And I mean, the Tribune company was pretty conservative. <laughs> and if you brought things up like that, oh, no, we're going to ruin Wrigley Field. Well, now it's pretty much accepted. I mean, yeah, fans may not have liked it at first, but uh, and some probably still don't. But there's, you know, there's a lot of other good things that have come with a lot of that change. And, and uh, it, it's the way life is when you get old, you start sort of realizing that, I think. <laughs> uh, I, I never thought that I would ever see the day that it was open year round like it is now. Uh, tours are year round. Uh, the ice skating rink is uh, opening up next Friday. Through wow, yeah. um, so never, pictures with Santa, like never did I ever think that this would be a, this would be a year round job, but it, and it turned into one. So. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, that is one of the things, I mean, like you mentioned the, the, the crowd management staff or whatever you call it now being so much larger. I know the front office is extremely yeah. large compared to what we had back then, but there's a lot more um, that you're doing and a lot more going on there. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a whole different animal there. <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, I was telling the story. Uh, so when I was there, I was, um, taking tickets at the gates. And then when the game started, I would run up to the press box, sit next to Rick, who was still there. Yep. I was doing the auxiliary scoreboard. And um, people today are like, wow, you all did all that. Like, we, we did everything back then. Whatever we needed to do, we were the ones that got the promo from where it was going to now to the team yep. that does that. So, right, right. We did everything back in the day. <laughs> Wore a lot of hats. Yeah. Yeah, we made our own, uh, brought our own jugs of water, made our own Gatorade, and of the team that does that for us. So um, definitely a change. Uh, well, Paul, thank you very much for this uh, uh, walk back down memory lane. I hope that we can um, get you again for our next virtual convention again. We're going to be doing that because there is no cup convention. Um, again, you were at the last Okay, one. I didn't know that. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, yeah, yeah then, uh, because feel free of, uh, to reach out. Yeah, because of COVID, uh, there's no more convention this Come 2022, there won't be one as well. So, okay. um, yeah, we'll definitely reach out again with Danielle Alexa and get that panel together because uh, I thought that our, our staff loved hearing the history and things that uh, we were telling them about. We're not making these things up. These are actually true. It happened back then. <laughs> and again, thank you for reaching out and having me. And uh, again, it, it's great the success you're having with your pod, podcast. Congratulations. It's terrific. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, I got to try to find my way to Florida one day because uh, I'm tired of snow, too. I'm getting tired of it's snow today, by the way, in Chicago. I, I saw that. And it looked like it might get a little more over the weekend. And I won't tell you what it's like down here today, then. <laughs> Other than yeah, I was walking on the beach this morning. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I just saw our, how our season begins in March next year. So yeah, be fun. <laughs> I will. Uh, I will probably be up there right when the season starts. I we've been doing this for thirty years, but I'm in a in a fantasy baseball thing with a bunch of guys, and uh, you know we do our draft, and uh, we've been been doing it for over thirty years. So I'll be back up there a few times. But uh, if I if I go to the park, I'll I'll reach out. Yes, definitely. Uh, we'll definitely be in touch. And uh, thank you again, and thank you all for watching. Uh, mistaken identity, and we'll catch you all on the next episode.